Good morning, all. Thank you, sir. Happy June 26th to everybody. It's, it's not a holiday of any particular sort, but it's it's a day. It's the day that the Lord's made. That's right. Absolutely. And, uh, the bucolic splendor, northeast Kansas, little hamlet by the river. Beautiful, beautiful Kansas River. So, you know, I used to go and play with my cousins. They lived in North Lawrence, and I'd go over to their house, and we'd go down by the river, over by the bridge that goes across uh, to North Lawrence, and and there'd just be all these dead fish floating around in the water. And it was very gross and disconcerting. It's like I it's like I really don't want to touch that water. So, bleh. All right, well, Jesus, we thank you for this place to be. We thank you for this people that you have brought together to this place, this family that you have made, that you're making, Lord. And, and we appreciate the, the the flexibility and the elasticity that we have as family uh, and the, the fellowship that we have one with another as we uh, journey down this road together. And Lord, we just we pray that today you would meet every need in this place, God. And because in this uh, in this moment, in this place, God is that meeting of the needy and the the fulfiller of needs. And so, Lord, we we come to you this morning, acknowledging our need for you, and and asking most humbly that you would indeed fill those needs that we have, God. Not not just my needs. God, but the, the needs of those people around me. God, I, I want everyone to come out of the service this morning uh, having been ministered to by your presence, having received that very thing that, that they need. And, and so, Lord, we just pray that you would do those things. God, that you would feed us with your word. God, I bind the flesh, I bind the carnal mind. God, I loose your spirit. God, to do in this place exactly what you want to do. God, nothing more, nothing less. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. So, go with me to Jeremiah 17. No, no, sorry, Jeremiah 2. Anybody else get nervous when the preacher says, turn with me to Jeremiah anything? <laughs> like, oh, it's going to be another one of those. It's like, honey, pass me the tums. Here we go. No, it's a great thing, you know, when it, because if, and this isn't one of those, but if, if God did have something that he wanted to deal with you about, this, it's not such a scary thing. And I, I think we all come to those places where God deals with you about something or points something out to you. And, and it could just be a small thing. It's like, hey, remember that thing? That was kind of kind of dumb. And... You know, so and and so you can do business with the Lord about it right then, and just kind of move on. And that's a good thing. You want that because nobody wants to go out the door with you know toothpaste crusties in the corners of their lips, or you know, or uh, it's like you know, it's like, hey, did you look at yourself in the mirror before you walked out? You know, nobody wants that. So, so it's a precious thing that God does that. So everyone who has put up with me the last few days, I certainly appreciate their flexibility. 
with my gripiness, but uh, in Jeremiah 2, um, I'm going to start in uh, verse 8, I think. You know, the, the thing about Israel is they were God's chosen people, of course, and they um, uh, they didn't really take seriously this this sense of it being a covenant because you know when you're when you're a child you have this relationship with your parents that is all very lopsided as far as you have all these needs you have all these wants and your parents fulfill them and uh, they have needs and wants that you don't necessarily uh, fulfill back to them. And, and as you mature, you begin to, uh, well, your parents teach you to do those things. And uh, they, they make you part of the team. And uh, nothing greater than having your parents tell you it's time to go fold the laundry. And you do it without rolling your eyes or, or grumbling or sighing. Or as someone in my family does, going and hiding in the bathroom for 15 minutes and then coming out to help uh, wrap up at the end. <clears throat> Clever. Uh, you know, uh, of course, I've worked construction all these years, and they have those little porta-potties at the job sites and stuff, and they are the very bottom of literature, no pun intended. But uh, I did see one of the most clever things ever that I could totally identify with, where I said, here I sit, all sweaty and dirty, just hiding out until 3.30. <laughs> like, yes, I, I have done that, and I have worked with people that do that. So, you know, it's a brilliant thing. So, anyway, um, but Israel always kind of saw their relationship with God as, God loves me, and he takes care of me, and I don't have to do anything. And uh, as a consequence, they kind of went off in left field uh, quite a bit and uh, ran after all sorts of other gods. And, of course, that's what Jeremiah's ministry addresses. And, uh, and so here in Jeremiah 2, God is kind of laying out this, this case uh, as he's talking to his people. He's like, here's kind of where you're at. So in 8, he says, the priest said not, where is the Lord? So they lost track of him. And uh, and it says, they said not, where is he? They, hand, they that handle the law knew me not, and that's a disaster. Because when Moses threw down the rod, it became a serpent. And, uh, and of course, it's easy when you know the Word of God, if you feel so inclined to, to beat somebody with it, or to 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 uh, use it out of context or whatever. I mean, I'm sure no one here does that or has ever done that. But I think we know that the Baptists do that. So, you know, but but you see, the the point is though, is that that sense of they handle the law, knowing him not, and so uh, that's of course exactly what Jesus ran into, because they had the law, and uh, and he he said. He said the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So, you know, you could do the things they tell you to do, but don't do the way, don't act like they do. 
and and so there's there was a sense of the the obeying the letter but not the spirit of the law. So they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and they walked after things that do not profit. Wherefore I will plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. Pass over the isles of Katim and see, and send over to Kedar, and consider diligently and see if there be such a thing. Has a nation changed their gods which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doesn't profit. That's an interesting thought. Like all these people that serve all this falsehood, do they do they switch to the next thing that comes down the pike or do they hang on to this thing that they started out with? They hang on to that thing that they started with. And uh, and it's an interesting thing because he says, here, the you know, does anybody change their one false god for another? Like, but my people are changing me out for some falsehood, something that has no profit to it, no power to it. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid and be very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed them out broken cisterns. Or cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So... You know, I think everybody is familiar with that verse. And, uh, you know, I never really thought much about it, uh, about what it even really meant. Because, like, you know, you go to the faucet, you turn it on, there's water. You know, we don't really have to think much about where does our water come from and and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's talking about more than just water here. And uh, because he says that they've forsaken God as that fountain of living water. The thing about water is it's essential for life. You have to have water. And if you heat it up to 205 degrees and pass it through some coarsely ground coffee beans and let it steep in there for a while, then you have really got something. But but water, you, you've got to have water. You know, Mike and I uh, were looking with chagrin at our schedule as it had nothing but outsides for like three weeks in a row and then looking at the weather channel like long range forecast really hot oh okay great great and we were working on this new construction house that uh i guess he didn't think it was important for painters to have water uh i guess he didn't think the sheetrock guys needed water i don't know the tile guys, nobody, all these people that need water, all these trades that need water. There's no water at the house. And uh, and yet he's driving everybody along with his with his whip. And uh, so, um, you know, we brought some water with us to the house, but not very much. And uh, it was really hot. And there's no shade at a new house because there are no trees. And... Uh, by the end of the day, you know, we're getting goosebumps and kind of stumbling around the yard like, oh, God. You know, and so I'm thinking about water. <laughs> like, give me some water. And uh, uh, one of the guys that was working inside the house offered me a Coke. And I was like, thank you, but no. And uh, uh, But you have to have water. And so God... Uh, he talks about himself that way because, of course, he talks about um, the water being the word and, 
and he is that word and so so then he is essential for life and and if you get out away from him i was thinking that day when we were outside and it was particularly hot no shade thinking about how we always talk about that song under the cloud and it's like wherever the cloud goes you're not going to survive long outside of that this cloud passed over the sun for about 5 minutes and it was noticeably cooler and i just kind of oh this is great and i was just kind of humming that song to myself it's like wow under the cloud it's like can we just keep the cloud there for the rest of the day um so uh but he God talks about himself being a fountain of living waters versus this cistern. Now a cistern is just a place to hold water. It doesn't have it, it has to have some sort of source that fills it, rainwater or whatever. Um but uh if you don't fill it up, then you have no water. And if it's broken, then you're just constantly filling it up and it's all just running out. And so so he's telling his people it's like this is kind of what you've become. Like you're not holding any of this water in. You you've you had this continuous supply that all you had to do was go and get it. This this fountain of of living water and it and it literally means living, alive in any any way you could you could say it. And so uh so this sense of the water uh, being fresh and alive you know if you if you leave water to sit for a while it becomes very unappetizing very unappealing grows little things in it and uh um and so uh there's all kinds of reasons that you would want water that was fresh that came from this source that was continually replenishing what's there uh, go with me over to uh, Jeremiah 17. I'll talk about this a little bit more. And uh, you guys are all familiar with this, I'm sure. I'm starting five. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusts in man, that makes flesh his arm, and whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a heath in the desert, and he shall not see when good comes, and shall not inhabit the parched or shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land, and not inhabited. That just makes me thirsty, thinking about it. A heath in the desert, parched place with an assault land. I mean, like sit down and eat a bag of pretzels with nothing to drink, and nobody will want to be around you. Like, hey, man. <laughs> I have something to drink. Oh God. So but he but he's talking about this man that trusts in man. I like how you're all like sipping from your water bottle surreptitiously while I'm talking about water. It's great. Um so then being outside of this place of trusting in God then leaves you in this place with no water then. Because if if the best you can do is a broken cistern, then you're going to run out of water. If it doesn't rain, then you have a problem. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, 
that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see when the heat comes. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be careful in the year of drought. Neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Well, that's an interesting thought then. Planted by, by the river. You have this, this continuous source of water then. And, and this tree flourishes by the waters. And so we, we have those roots that we put down. And uh, the, uh, the drier it gets around you, the more you spread those roots out, trying to find that, that, that groundwater, as it were. And, and God is that, that source of, of that, that continuous water. And so uh, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in a place where it's kind of hot out and the grass is turning brown. And, and, um, but the man that trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is shall not be careful in the year of drought. I like that. Not, not careful as in... Careful, I suppose, is an okay word, but it's not careful the way we use careful. Careful as in anxious, uh, concerned, worried. Uh, You don't need to be anxious in the year of drought when you have a continuous supply of water. I watched the show once where they're they're on this horse ranch or whatever, and they were all talking about this water shortage and this one girl, rich, spoiled girl from the city, totally did not get it, didn't get what they were saying, and she was just breaking all of their rules about conserving the water, and everybody kept trying to catch her at it, because they all knew she was doing it, and uh, one day she goes over to one of those like pumps like you see like on a, on a farm or an old house or whatever, opens that thing up and no water comes out, and she's like, oh. And, and of course, it, it turned out that they had just hired a plumber to come install these low-flow fixtures, and so he shut off all the water. But, but she, she, thought, she found out, wow, the water really could run out. What if I went to the faucet and there was no water? You know, um, I don't drink a particularly lot of water, but the idea of there not being any is a really uh, anxiety-inducing kind of thought. But here he says that when you trust in the Lord... And you spread out your roots, uh, looking for that water. Then, then you can tap into it, and you won't need to be anxious in the year of drought. And and you won't cease from yielding fruit because if you don't have enough water, you're not going to be able to grow anything. You're just going to be trying to stay alive. Um, but the, but here he's talking about something more than that, more than just simply surviving. How many of us? find ourselves just trying to skate from one Sunday to the next, just kind of hoping that I could, I can, uh, you know, you, you drive away with the, the big water tank in the back of your truck and it's dripping. And you're thinking, I hope this lasts me till next Sunday. So you're in here on Wednesday night pouring some more water in it. You know? But the great thing is, is you can get that water on Tuesday. You can get that water on Monday. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. And it's a blessing to get to come here and, and get that refreshing. This morning, I kind of felt like uh, a big horrible bag of filth. And I was like so excited to come to church, thinking I wish I didn't have to preach in front of everybody. I wish I could have somebody preach at me. But the thing is, 
is it's not about all those things. It's about this this fountain of living waters, and 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 it always being there. Um, but you know, our our society has conditioned us to think uh, in different ways than than uh, some of the ways that they were thinking when they wrote these things. Because uh, when Jeremiah was writing these things down, you didn't go to the faucet and just turn it on. You went down. You went, you went to the spring, you know, or a well, but it had some sort of source that just continually filled it up. But you still had to go down there where it was at, and you still had to put your bucket in or, or whatever, and you had to draw some out and then take it back to your house. You know, I mean, and people still live like that. Not so much in our country, but people live like that. And and so, so then there's not... It's not just this passive, well, I'm just going to sit in the closet and hope somebody brings me a glass of water. It's like I'm going to go I'm going to go to my closet and get some water. So he says uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who could know it? And and see there uh, I like how he puts that in after uh, talking about trusting in man versus trusting in the Lord because uh you can't even necessarily trust your own heart. It's like, you know, you you see all those things out there on TV. It's like, oh, follow your heart and everything like that. It's like, yeah, not so much. It's like, because I don't know about you, but my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins, even to give it to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So that's good gets in there and sees what's in there and he lets you know about it because you know when you take your car to the mechanic you want him to tell you what he found and uh, it's like yeah your car's messed up see you later I, I, I wanted you to tell me what was the matter with it and hopefully fix it <laughs> and, uh, and and that's what God does is is you know he'll he'll talk to you about those things and you can get it fixed as a partridge sits on eggs and hatches them not so he that gets riches, not by right, shall leave them in the midst of his days, and at the end shall be a fool. A glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed, and they that depart from me shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. So here he's talking again, bringing back that sense of my people have walked away from this fountain of living waters, and they've got these these broken cisterns, and so they're just drying out. Go with me to John 4. You know, I've been here 20 years, and uh, it's funny how you hear things, and you just you just kind of roll with it. You get used to hearing it, and you think, okay, yeah. You just sort of take it for granted without ever asking, well, why is that? I, I'm not a ask-a-lot-of-questions type of person, I kind I'm kind of the nod along type, and then uh, just sort of jump in there and try and figure it out as I go, and and hope that somebody else around me was paying better attention than me. Stop it, Mike. And uh, um, but I got to thinking about this. Uh, you know, you all know what uh, John Four is about, and I got to thinking about this woman of Samaria. And I got to thinking, it's like I've always heard about the Samaritans being these like half Jewish people. And I thought, well, where did they come from? It's like, where, where, 
you know, how did they get to this place where the Jews have no dealing with these Samaritans? So I did a little research, and of course, you know, the kingdoms split uh, a few generations after David and, and uh, Jeroboam. Uh, he uh, he had this uh, capital that he made for the northern kingdom for Israel. It was in Samaria, and and he came up with an alternative center of worship. And he told the people, "You don't want to go to Jerusalem. It's too far. You go. You don't need to go to Jerusalem," because he thought if they go up there to worship God, then they might be turned back to the to the kings of Judah, and then I'll lose them. And so he said, "You don't need to go up there." I've got this for you. And so he had this counterfeit uh, religion. It was it looked like God's religion, but it was not God's religion. We were playing this game last night, uh, Trivial Pursuit. And I can think of a few pursuits more trivial. But uh, no, no, actually I had a good time. I really did. But I got stuck with this question. It's like, which one of these three is not one of the seven deadly sins? And I'm, I, I don't know anything about the Catholic Church hardly, and I was like, so I'm thinking these six things is the Lord hate, and seventh is abomination to him. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm listening to this multiple choice, this list of these three things. Which one of these does not belong in that list? I'm like, they're all in there. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do with that? They're all in there. Like, what, they need like a pass. Like, give me next question. Yeah. Nope. Um, so anyway, so I just threw one out, and a person reading me the question is like, no, sorry, that's wrong. I said, what? Are you, mm. you know, but it's like, so, but they had this religion that is, it's not God's religion. It looks like it a little bit, sort of, vaguely, kind of, almost, maybe. Uh, the world doesn't know the difference, you know, you, the the world lumps the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church all together as Christian, and they're really not. You know, people think you know they lump the Mormon Church in there, and it's like uh, no. You know, but if you don't know anything about it, it's all the same. You know, you go to the the uh, auto parts store, and there you you go, you tell them you need some part for your car, and they ask you what year is it. You tell them all this stuff, uh, and then. Uh, then the guy in the green shirt behind the counter always tells you, okay, I have this one for this much, I have this one for this much, and I have this one for this much. And it's like, here's what I heard. This one's the most expensive and this one's not. Which one do you want? I don't know. I don't know anything about it. Tell me a little bit about this. Um, so if you don't know any better, then one thing is as good as another. And so... So this this Jeroboam starting this alternative to Jerusalem is the beginning of this uh, uh, Israel becoming this heath in the desert, this parched wilderness with their broken cisterns that have no water in them because they weren't going where the water was. Like in Judah, they had the water. They had they had the place that God had prescribed to to come and have fellowship with Him and get that living water. And so. By the time you get you uh, well, and and it, it gets even worse than that, because then uh, a few hundred years down the road, uh, Israel is conquered by Assyria, not not Judah, but Israel, 
and then and you know they they he deports some of their people and then he moves his people in and and of course some of the Israelites are still there and so then you have this mingling of all these Assyrian people and the Jews these Israelites and so now you have this mixture and uh, and it's tough you know when you meet somebody that's really a really nice person. But then you find out they're a Muslim, or then you find out that they're this or that, and it's like, oh, it's like, but he seems so nice. Maybe it's not all that bad, or you know, maybe there's moderate Islam and, and all that, you know, and and you hear that all over the place in the news. I had, I I think, I haven't read the news in a long time. I had to just stop, but uh, I got tired of making myself angry day after day reading the news and for the last month or so I have not had time for something like sitting still that long um, but should be moving into my house next weekend so praise God for that will no longer be a pilgrim I hope well I suppose that's true but uh, it's nice to kind of have a semi-permanent tent somewhere that, uh, you know, my stuff is all there instead of, in a, you know, stacked up neatly in a garage. You know, nothing like straddling this house and this house and, oh, some of my stuff is over there. and No, but um, so so then you have this this mixture of of uh, this this culture uh, of Israel that was created by the, the religion of God that they received from Moses. But now it's mixed up with all this Assyrian stuff, and so that goes right back to what he said in Jeremiah, where he said the, that uh, the priest didn't ask, "Where is the Lord?" They lost track of him, and one thing seemed as good as the next, and so they had church, they they had religious observance, a plenty, but they had no water, and so. You could see as you read through Kings and Samuel and Kings, it just just goes downhill, and it just Israel becomes more and more and more dry. You know, you you go from this this green tree, this this people planted by the river with this continuous source under David and Solomon, to they're just drying out and and dying. I, we had a tree uh, at our house in Baldwin that um, it didn't dry out, but it had these little these little bugs. You know those bugs that come in a little bag, and who would buy those? But they just sort of show up on your trees, and they they just proliferate, and you can't hardly keep ahead of them. And before long, this tree just turned brown. It's an evergreen tree, and it turned brown. And all the stuff started falling off of it, and it died. And uh, and so it's an interesting thing to just watch this tree shrivel up and die because the tree seems so hardy. And uh, you know they they drop sticks in your yard and tear up your lawnmower and uh, and all stuff, but they still seem so they're in good shape. You know if you live in an older neighborhood. The sidewalks are made of brick, and they all do this because there's roots all like pushing on these bricks. And so to think of something with that much intrinsic uh, strength 
that it could just shrivel up and die is quite the cautionary tale. And so so that departing from the fountain of living waters then and having this broken cistern uh, is certainly not not an ideal thing at all. Because if you have this fountain with you and you take it wherever you go, then you don't need the cistern. Uh, but you know when you when you when you stay nice and hydrated, you can go for a little while without a drink. You know, and and that's an important thing to consider uh, spiritually. It's like, am I staying hydrated enough that I don't? Uh, I'm, I'm not constantly running back to this fountain because I can't deal with anything. Anything that comes my way, oh man, I had to, to go pray. You know, and as we should take everything to the Lord, but that sense of of, of of being able to contain enough of that living water to to uh, get you down the road a ways is very important. So here in John four. We have this Jesus meeting this woman of Samaria, and you can you can see begin to see where this enmity between the the Jews and the Samaritans began. There there became this very definite um, um, separation between the two, because of course Judah was also conquered and deported to Babylon. And and because they had all their idols that they couldn't get enough of. And so God took them to Babylon and they had enough of all of this falsehood. Because it's funny when you when you know what's right, and it could be any subject, but when you know what's right and you hear somebody just like spouting off some garbage, like they know what they're talking about and you know that they don't, it just makes you want to... You know, shake them and and tell everybody what's really right. There's nothing like knowing that you're right, and just not being able to convince anyone that you're right. And so, uh, so then the they both both Israel and Judah went through this deportation, this being conquered, and uh, uh, Israel comes out. Uh, um, intermingled with the world, and Judah comes out with, "I've had enough of that." And so they came back and they rebuilt the temple, and they were they were doing the things that God told them to do. But the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, and they they trusted in man and not in the Lord. And and so by the time they came down to uh, to Jesus coming and uh, visiting his people, they they had gotten so far off of that living water. They had their cisterns and they had their stagnant water. They had their, their water that they purified after the purifying of the manner of the Jews. And so they they weren't interested in his living water. And, uh, and then when he started talking about these spiritual things, then they were even less interested. You know, when somebody starts talking about something you don't understand, your eyes just sort of glaze over. Mike and I did a bid for this couple once that uh, they had really gotten in over their head building their own house, trying to be the contractor and everything. And They were doing everything backwards as concerns the painting and uh, 
we were trying to help them uh, with some information, you know, because information is a valuable thing, and when you get it for free, that's a great thing too. So Mike's teaching them how you prep trim, how you cock it, how you fill the holes and stuff, and this lady's eyes just glaze over. <laughs> she looks at her husband angrily. She's like, I do not want to do that. And I'm thinking, well, somebody's going to have to do this. You've got a really big, huge, beautiful house here. Somebody better do it right, you know. And uh, I don't know what they ended up doing. They didn't hire us. But, uh, but you know, when somebody starts kind of talking over your head, you just sort of start daydreaming about something else. That happens to me a lot. I, I was... I was working at my house Friday afternoon and, and I was listening to this ebook about uh, growing your business and managing it and doing it right and everything from the ground up. And after a couple hours, I just sort of, my brain was just sort of fried and I was listening to the words but not really absorbing it anymore. So that happens. But anyway, so, so then there was this enmity between these Jewish people who had, uh, um, who at least knew who the real God was, more or less, and the Samaritans, who God was rather unrecognizable. It's just like Christianity and Islam. It's like they're supposed to be the same God, but He's really not. So I'm going to buzz down through here kind of quick. When the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus baptized, more disciples, made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judah and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Of course, you all know the story. He went way out of his way to get there. And then he comes to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. So, so Jacob then, Israel, this... Uh, the father of this kingdom from which both Judah and Samaria came. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied in his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So she, so she asked him, why, why are you even talking to me? Like, you know, uh, I, to me, I kind of equate this with how impersonal our society has become, how you, you walk by somebody and you pretend you didn't see them and they pretend they didn't see you because it's easier than saying, hi, how are you? And so, uh, so she's kind of expecting this like awkward, oh, that guy was... I can tell by the way he's dressed, he must be Jewish, and he's so he's probably not going to uh, say anything to me. And he's he's sitting on the well. It's like that's going to be awkward. I need some water, so I'm going to have to talk to this guy. That's going to be weird. And Jesus answered and said, "If you knew the gift of God, and that's a great word, a gift, because uh, there's something about an unexpected gift that's, uh, that's always a blessing." And you knew who it is that said to you, give me to drink. Then you would have asked of him. And he would have given you living water. So now we're back to that living water again. Not really a new concept. Because this is something that God talked to his people about uh, for hundreds of years. 
And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence do you have that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? So here she brings up Jacob again. And it's interesting that she doesn't call him Israel. She calls him Jacob. You know, because Jacob was, you know, he became Israel after he wrestled with God. And he, and he, became, he went from being the supplanter, the, the upstart, the, the imposter, to, um, to ruling with God. And, but she calls him Jacob. But she, but here again, she points out it's like, here, you know, you're Jewish, I'm Samaritan. We kind of came from the same thing here. And he says, whosoever drinks of this water, and he doesn't even address that. He just says, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So. Never thirsting again. I read that and I thought, you know, I've I felt pretty thirsty. I've kind of drugged myself on my face in the church a time or two, going, you know, water, water, you know. But I was reading this and he says that that you know, if you have access to this water, you should never thirst. So I got to think, well, then whose fault is it that I came in here dying of thirst? would be mine, wouldn't it? Because I had access to this living water, this, this, this continual supply that never runs out, but I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't fill up on it. I didn't get a drink. And so I came in here all thirsty and, and, and parched. So he says that whoever drinks of this water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And I like that word springing up. I looked that up. And the only other place this word appears is in the book of Acts. And, and, it, and it's used of a lame person being healed. And they were like the man that was sitting at the, at the gate beautiful. And Peter takes him by the hand and, and, he, and God raises him up. And it said that he went walking and leaping and praising God. And that's that same word, springing up. So it's, there's the sense of, of like a fountain that's, that's gushing and, uh, and forcefully pushing out water that comes with this well of water that springs up and into everlasting life. So when you, you have this water, then you don't have to worry about being that tree the, the, that heath in the wilderness that that dried up and died, because you have you have this this well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman says, "Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw." She, she, he's he's talking up here, and she's still kind of listening down here because she's not getting what he's saying. Because she's thinking, "Well, that sounds convenient." Never be thirsty again. It's like, what kind of you know hat trick is this? And he says, go, call hither thy husband. And the woman says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you've said well that I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and he who you now have is not your husband. And that you said truly. So again, she has this Jewish man that's not just treating her like a dog, but actually talking to her, even about this thing that, she would expect him to look down his nose at her about. And he's like, well, at least you're honest. That's good. 
And the woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And so she's like, okay, so you, you know what you're talking about then. So she immediately goes into, of course, you guys all know, it's like, well, where do I go to church? And and learning a little bit about the difference between the the Jews and about the Samaritans made this make a lot more sense to me. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you said that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship because that's, that is indeed where God put the temple. And, uh, and he says, the hour comes. He said, woman, believe me, the hour comes when you should neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. So neither. You worship, you know not what. Because the, he, the Samaritans had mixed God in with everything else that the, Samarit- that the Assyrians had. He said, you worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. So they, they at least knew who God was. But the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, so he's like, you know, here I'm talking to you about water. But I'm not talking to you about the water that's down in the well. I'm talking to you about a spiritual thing. I'm talking about how you can have uh, life more abundant on the inside. You're still going to be down here on Tuesday drawing more water, but uh, because your your flesh will require it of you. But on the inside of you, you're going to have something different. And that's what I'm talking to you about. I'm talking about this this uh, well of water springing up into everlasting life. So, uh, I, I don't know, I kind of picture her eyes glazing over here because she's, he's saying these things that she doesn't really get. And then she says something that doesn't really seem to be like the next most obvious thing to say. She's like, well, I know that when Messiah comes, which is called Christ, when he's come, he'll tell us all things. Like, okay, why, why would you say that? Like, we're, we're talking about the water thing still, right? And the spirit thing and... and uh, He's like, well, I know that one day the Messiah will come and all this stuff will be plain. And he says, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Because, for one thing, she was a woman. Two, she was a Samaritan, and and there was no one else around. It just seemed sort of all kinds of uh, not proper that Jesus would be standing there talking to her. Especially with uh, the funny look she seemed to be giving him. So, uh, yet no man said, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? You know, isn't it great when somebody kind of stumbles, you're having a serious conversation with something, someone, and someone else just sort of stumbles in, and then you just kind of stay back and don't say anything. It's like, oh, this is a serious moment. This is probably not a good time to ask them where the water balloons are. <laughs> so, we are working on that intensively at my house. Like, if there are words coming out of my mouth, there should be no words coming out of your mouth. And vice versa. I don't know. When I grew up, it's like I, I grew up just like the only kid around a whole bunch of adults. And so I just learned to wait my turn. And, and of course, everybody in my family talks over everybody. So I, if I really wanted to say something, I was really going to have to wait for just the right moment. And, you know... Like, I had to be a crack shot if anybody was going to hear me. I mean, 
I can be saying some, I can be talking directly to my mother, and she'll hear something else, some other conversation going on, and she'll just completely turn away from me and 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 like say something, interrupt that conversation. So I usually trail off with Anna. I'm having an affair with an alien. She's having my baby. We'll send pictures, <laughs> and she never catches it because she's not listening. So I don't know. But anyway. So, so these these disciples have this moment of brilliance where they they come upon this and they just kind of hang back and watch. You ever you know sometimes you just kind of walk and you're like oh there's something serious going on so I'm just going to just back away. Okay. And so they said what no one said what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her and the woman left her water pot and went away into the city. So I think that's an interesting thing. After she's talked to Jesus about this this well of water springing up in everlasting life, she leaves her water pot at the well. It's like, okay, so I, maybe I don't need this so much anymore because I found this source of of, of living water. And and of course, you all know how the how the story goes and how everyone. All these people know her, and so they they think, wow, there must be something to this. And then they go out and they hear him themselves and, and believe on him. These these Samaritans uh, believing on Jesus because they uh, and it's interesting because it seems like they're more apt to hear him than the than a lot of the the Jewish people. So that's a funny thing. But but living water then and the sense of having it with you everywhere you go, being able to stay hydrated and. And have access to this water all the time. So, but I thought that was very instructive when he says that that if you have this water, you'll never thirst again. Because I thought, wow, I I've been thirsty a lot. That doesn't make sense to me. And and as I said, like, well, then if you have access to all this water, if, if the the kitchen sink is right over there, and you're dying of thirst, are your legs broke? Go get some water. And uh, and so we all have that that access and that opportunity, and, uh, and and what a blessing that is. So Jesus, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for uh, that living water, and and God, we want to receive it. We want to uh, receive that access and by faith, knowing that at any time we need a drink from you, Lord, we can come get it. Now David longed for a drink from the well of Bethlehem because he was looking for a word from you. And so certainly we have those times where you're quiet. But Lord, the the sense of relationship and the faithfulness that you have towards us, God, lets us know that we're not going to just dry up and, and blow away. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for that water. And God, and today I just pray that not only would you give us that water, but that you would feed us with that bread from heaven. God, as only you can do. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.